Welcome to another episode of Bookends. I'm Philippa Moore, and today's guest is internationally renowned poet Ivy Alvarez. The author of the 2006 collection Mortal, Ivy is one of the most prolific writers I know. Her work has been published all over the world, and she is a regular guest at international writing festivals from Newcastle in Australia to Seoul in South Korea. And as a performer of her work, she has been artiste in residence for Australia's SBS radio and TV network. She's also been awarded fellowships at the McDowell Colony in the United States, Hawthorne and Castle in Scotland. And her first poetry collection, Mortal, was released in 2006 by US publisher Red Morning Press. And Craig Santos Perez, writing for Boxcar Poetry Review, called it an incredible first collection whose casual tone, visceral imagery and surprising figurative language keeps the reader engaged throughout. And if you've ever read any of Ivy's work, I'm sure you'd agree. Ivy has just completed a second collection of poetry and we met up in a London coffee shop where she very graciously agreed to begin our interview with a reading of one of my favourites of her poems from Mortal, A Memory of Corn. A memory of corn. A sky blue with hysteria. Roses blousy and promiscuous. Bees fat-bottomed and buzzing. It is a shaking, baking summer. Dee and Seth eat by the reservoir. The fire pit coals sing to the meats roasting above them, which hiss and spit in return. Mother and daughter take a corn cob each shuck off its clothes and yellow filaments. The corn's niblets darken in the heat. Retrieved, salted, cooling, they lie on plates. Seth nibbles on the neat rose, methodical as a typewriter. Ping! With a fingernail, Dee picks out fibers caught between her teeth. Their shoulders brown as an ant crawls off a spear of grass falls to earth, and climbs another. That was Ivy Alvarez reading her poem, A Memory of Corn, from her 2006 book, Mortal. Ivy, welcome to Bookends. Thanks, Philippa. Thank you for joining me today. Mortal was your first published book of poems. Yes. uh, Collective work. Um, But you've actually been a a professional poet for, for quite some time now. Yeah, I suppose so. It's um, a professional poet doesn't seem to... Is that the right terminology, perhaps <laughs> No, not. I think it's... Um, I mean, uh, when for that term, I think of, you know, Ted Hughes as being a professional poet, or, you know, somebody who can actually make a living out of it, whereas I guess I have had a lot of publications and journals, and I've been lucky with that, but... Um, I'm not up to that level yet where I can actually, you know, yes, make a living from my poetry. I do have, I have had some perks from it, from it, but yeah, not to that level So yet. is poetry a harder genre to make a living out of than any other, do you think? Or is it pretty much even across the board? I think all the literary arts have their challenges with, with respect to making a living out of it. So, but perhaps poetry, it's, you have to think a little bit more sideways to make a living out of it. People are seem to be more interested in, you know, getting workshops and things like that, learning how to, to write for themselves as well. So that's a, that's one way to sort of, you know, share your knowledge and and um, yeah, with make make a living out of it. But yeah. yeah. So you've done workshops. You've also mm-hmm. curated various um, artistic events. Yes. Like. 
for example, you told me this afternoon about um, curating works of art by um, visual artists yes. with writers. Yes. Tell um, us a bit about that. Well, Imagistic was an event that happened earlier this year, I think it was, and I co-curated with Carol Burns, who's a novelist, and Paul Edwards, who's a visual artist. And they both live in Cardiff, and they approached me and said, would you look, be interested in helping us you know, organize this event? And the idea is for the writers to respond to a piece of art that they've selected from artists that, who are Welsh, you know, Welsh re, you know, relationship or link. And yeah, and so I, mostly my role was getting the word out there and, and letting people know that this is happening and, and sort of technical blog type things. But, you know, I, I enjoy that. It's, it's, um, it's really good, you know. And the event itself was very well received. It was um, held in the Wales Millennium Centre. There was a cafe there. And there was just so many people who turned up and, you know, they really enjoyed it. And they liked the idea of people responding, you know, this, this sort of... Um, conversation happening between the two art forms you know writing and visual art so yeah it's um it's always good to, to create something you know it's like an event it's like i don't know i think of virginia wolf's the lighthouse where you know she creates this meal and and um and it's about you know this one moment but it's and it's gone but it's you know it's an event and it's an artistic event it's and it's culture and i think that's it's quite exciting and uh, I think people really respond to that. So. It's something people can participate in. Yes, yes. Yeah. So poetry seems to complement many different art forms, mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, some other projects of yours over the years have been poetry in response to film. Mm -hmm. um, I believe uh, A Slice of Cherry Pie was one of your anthologies. Yes. And that was uh, poetry in response to the films of David Lynch. That, that was in response to Twin Peaks. Ah, so, uh, yes, I put out um, a call. I'm the series editor for the private press. And I put out a call and let people know that I want poems responding to Twin Peaks, the series, or, or the film that he put out as well, which was the prequel to, to Twin Peaks TV series. And yeah, people you know, really enjoyed that, I think, and I enjoyed selecting the poems for that and putting it together. And for that, I was after more of a feel of, because I don't quite know how easy it is for people to capture a mood in poetry, but you know, that's, that's uh, for, for me, the, the fun of it was making sure that they all work together, that all, the whole you know, collection work together as a whole and, and doing that, so. So it sounds like you've had a really varied career. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a writer. Yes. Tell us how you got started. Oh, how did I get or started? Or is that a loaded question? It's, it's, um, I've always been interested in reading. I've always read a lot as, as a child. I mean, I grew up in, in Manila in the Philippines and sort of not a very wealthy background at all. It's a, quite a deprived, well, not deprived, just you know, not a lot uh, in terms of material possessions. And so with regards to entertainment and things like that, I was just voracious with regards to reading and I just read everything. And I guess, you know, it was um, in response to that, I'd, I'd write poems or, you know, write little songs and, and that kind of thing. And when we, when my family moved to Australia, I was encouraged through school and, and that kind of thing entering competitions and all throughout I just received this encouragement to keep writing and that that was it basically just that encouragement allowed me to make sure that I kept writing. So you had champions <laughs> early yes, on. Yes, yes. And that's important isn't it? I think it is very important otherwise you lose steam, you lose impetus, you lose 
yeah, that propulsive movement to keep going. If you don't get that, it's just as easy to just rest on your laurels and think, yeah, that's it, I'll just stop now. <laughs> and yeah. But, um, but I wanted to keep going, I enjoyed writing. Yeah. And it was always poetry. Not no, novels or plays. no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I actually was very interested in writing short stories um, alongside with the poetry. I've actually had a couple of good feedback with that. I, I've won a couple of um, short story competitions in, at university, and um, I was long listed for a short story competition online when you know it was still very young and new. But I think I didn't get as much encouragement for my prose as for my poetry. But what I find so interesting about your poetry, about your work, is that it does have a very strong narrative quality mm -hmm. that you do get in fiction, in prose. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I know that you are influenced by people such as uh, Dorothy Porter, yes. The Monkey's Mask, yes. etc. So, you know, this idea of storytelling through poetry mm -hmm. it's not anything new though is no, it? that, no. it's, a, it's a very old concept of yes. you know the ballads yeah etc it, it is a way to tell a story just in less words yes yeah there, so, there is a long tradition of, of um, narrative poetry and and telling a story through poetry yes mm. yes um, uh, you mentioned Dorothy Porter's the monkey monkey's mask I mean that was when the switch it turned for me really when I read mm. that work uh, reading that collection it was like this is what you can do this is what you can accomplish and she absolutely opened the door for me in respect to what I could do and you know I'm very grateful for that mm -hmm. yeah I remember reading it myself and it was like reading a novel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it really was quite an experience mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So is, is that something that you've tried to replicate in, in, in Mortal for example? I think Mortal, yes, that was the first instance where I tried to do that, um, tried to go for a layered way of working with as a, as a full collection. I mean, as a first collection, it's really hard to, to look at a collection of poems and say, okay, how, how do they work together? How, how do I make it into something bigger than, than just separate poems? And being able to create a through line, as well as working on lots of levels, it was very illuminating for me that you know I could do that and that I think allowed me to be able to work on my second collection and make that a bit more ambitious than the first one. So tell us a little bit about Mortal, was it a long pregnancy and birth? Um. <laughs> yes it was, it was. You and I grew up in Hobart in Tasmania so that was where most of my early work that was written um, was in Hobart there and you know, it's beautiful there, lots of nature, and so a lot of that nature focus is in here. But I also wanted to go for something a little larger as well, the, the mother-daughter relationship that, you know, you get a sense of that from the poem that I read um, at the start of this program. It was a long time coming, and it took me a little while before I could grasp that, hey, these collections of poems can actually become a book. And I, I didn't even realize until somebody took the 10 poems that I had and she put them in order, um, Angela Roquel, who, who's a Hobart poet. Until she did that, it was like, hey, I can actually go for this. I can actually make this bigger than, than what it is. And that was the start of it, really. So, um, obviously, Mortal has its foundations in the mother-daughter relationship. Mm -hmm. So what actually is the story? 
of Marshall. Okay. It's based on the myth of Demeter and Persephone, but I've sort of reversed the myth. The original myth goes Demeter, who's the mother, and she's the goddess of, you know, wheat and and cereals and things like that. And um, the harvest. Yes, yeah. yes, and plenty. So she, she's the goddess of that. Her daughter, Persephone, disobeys her, and they're, they're both in the garden, and Hades kidnaps Persephone because he sees her and, you know, is taken with her. So he kidnaps her, takes her underground into, into hell, I suppose. And, um, the underworld. The underworld, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so she's there, and, of course, Demeter is heartbroken, and so she puts the world into darkness and so that's how we have winter and Persephone is only allowed to visit every spring yes but she has to go back into the underworld because she ate seeds from the underworld from the underworld the pomegranate seeds and so that's why she has to keep returning because she was warned not to do that but of course it's all very Adam and Eve yes isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly so I took that myth and reversed it and instead of the mother rescuing the daughter the idea is the daughter rescues the mother. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it's a set in present day. Yes, in the present day. As opposed to ancient Greek. Yes, times. yes. It sort of used, I mean, the, there's a sequence at the start that sort of explains that, that it's not going to be the usual myth. It's instead of the daughter being rescued, it's the mother being rescued, the mother being kidnapped, kidnapped and taken into the underworld. <laughs> Now, I know you're a huge Sylvia Plath fan, yes. as am I. Yes. <laughs> when we're mentioning Greek uh, myths yes. and um, the underworld and all, all of that sort of thing, uh, as we both know, that's a very um, strong theme in, in her work as yes. well. Yes, uh, With Medusa and mm -hmm. all the rest of it, So and Colossus. And so I just wondered, to what extent would you say was Sylvia Plath at all an influence on oh, on some of these poems? Very much so. <laughs> it's, it's hard to get away from her. The mother-daughter relationship, <laughs> yes, etc. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's hard to get away from her. Um, I think that's, you know, when you have heroes such as her who's very influential and her voice is so strong, it's hard to separate yourself from her, her voice so that you can have your own way of speaking. But she's very much infused through through this you know throughout this work and she still is you know you know I'm writing poems now and I have to be very conscious that I'm not repeating her cadences in my yes. work it's uh she's yeah. just one of those poets that gets inside your heart and mm. never really goes away exactly yes I wonder if you'd read us another okay. poem from mortal okay you mentioned moth so I'll read yes that. that's one of my favorites okay. moth Pale white body against the glass, wings pressed towards the light. I am a pulse. I cannot stop beating, beating, so drawn to the alien thing. There is no time to care. The light beckons and I am there. Call me ephemeral. Soon the crickets will sing their cacophony and the grass will have my dry wings. That's one of my absolute favourites oh, from that collection. Thank you. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Philippa. Um, <laughs> and yes, definite Plath mm. influence there. Yes. <laughs> but definitely your own voice oh, as well. Oh, good. Just lovely. 
I know that prior to Mortal, you um, published smaller collections. They're called chapbooks. Yes, that's right. So you had a couple of those done. Mm -hmm. Was that self-publication or was that through a, a press as well? That's through the private press. Through the private press, yeah. yeah. Yes. And so... You didn't have a distributor, really, for that. Was no. that more you going and selling it yourself? Yes, it was. Uh, for for those ones, I approached a couple of bookshops in in Hobart and in Mel in Melbourne, and um, yeah, they they were kind enough to take a couple of copies through there. And the Collected Works Bookshop in Melbourne as well is a, which is um, a really good bookshop which stocks mostly poetry, and you know, it's amazing. So, well, I have a confession to make, listeners. Mm -hmm. It was, I think it was about 2005, I'd actually been a lurker on Ivy's blog for about two <laughs> years and I wandered into the Hobart bookshop in Salamanca Square and I found her chapbook, oh. What's Wrong, and I just thought, oh yes, I must have this. And so I remember buying it and then scurrying back to my car in Battery Point and just sitting there transfixed. Oh. Um, but, and little did I know that we'd end up being great friends and you'd read yes. a poem at my wedding and we'd be sitting here in London having yeah. this conversation. Isn't it amazing? Seven years later, the world is an amazing place. So never be afraid to tell someone you admire their work <laughs> or mention them in a blog post. Yes. You never know. So that particular chapbook was What's Wrong. Yes. And that was a wonderful collection because that was, again, it was, it was a narrative mm -hmm. telling a story about two characters. Yes. Bill. Bill and Anne. Anne, yes. yes. <laughs> they were really interesting. Yes. Were, were they? So this leads nicely to my next question. To what extent is your work autobiographical? I think it's very much a conglomeration of how I see the world but I have characters moving in it who might be me and might not be me. Yeah. So, and Hobart's oh, full of interesting yes, characters. Yes, so exactly. I'm sure Bill and Anne well, I think were inspired by some of them. Bill and Anne as characters, they're I don't know, it's, it's about certain people working in a certain relationship and the dynamic between them. There's this push and pull happening between those two characters and I think I don't know, I've observed it um, and extrapolated from it from my own relationships, I suppose, but not really, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. I think it was interesting to sort of see how they would work together, those two, so. I mean, because poetry is very much the essence mm. of what you're trying to say. Yes. Hence why it was never the best medium for me, because <laughs> I like to use as many words as possible, as my blog readers will know. But what's really interesting to me is that, you know, to be a good writer, I think you need to be a student of human psychology. Mm and to really be fascinated by how people interact mm -hmm. and behave and mm -hmm. why they do the things they do. Yes. So is poetry even more a distillation of that theory? I think with poetry it's very much about observing, whether it's observing people or objects. It's very much, I don't know, it's, it's like when I, I used to do drawing and I was very much taken with the idea of, of focusing on details and I think it's in the details that a work becomes more real. Yeah, I think poetry is very much stripping away what's not necessary and getting to the heart of the detail. You yeah. can't waste any words. Yeah, no. no every word it has to work, you know, mm. work double, triple time. And you know, if it's not, if you don't need it there, you out it goes. So a lesson really all writers <laughs> could learn, really, especially me. Tell us about your process. Mm -hmm. um, 
for your methods, okay. as it were. You know, what's a typical day like for you? A typical day? <laughs> Is there involves, a typical day? That, that involves writing. Um, <laughs> not knitting or anything like that. Oh, yes, poets and writers who knit. <laughs> Ivy and I are both members of that club. Yes. Well, I suppose it depends on what I'm working on. If I'm working on a series of poems, I'll be sitting down and maybe surfing online and getting some ideas from there to flesh out my you know what I'm going to write about and then I just go into this trance and take out my pen and notebook and I'm writing lines setting it down getting as much down as possible to capture what I'm thinking and then once that's done I think okay that's done then I go to the computer and then then I you know start adding it in fleshing things out and you know, if, if there's a form that I'm following, like if it's a sonnet or whatever, then you know, that's when I do make sure you know, I'm following. It's got 14 lines, you know, whatever. And yeah, and I might go and come back, but yeah, that's that's basically how I put a poem together. And it might take I don't know half an hour, an hour to do. <laughs> Other times I might go back, um, you know, a week later or two weeks later, and, and keep working on it. it. It all depends on the poem, so. Yeah. Do you use structure such as sonnet, villanelle, um, haiku yes. often, or is it mostly free verse? Um, it's it depends. It depends on what I want to to say in the poem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, usually with the form, I don't know. It's it's comforting to do when when I need that structure, and I like having a lot of restrictions. Actually, oddly enough, when when I'm writing a poem. So um, does it help with blocks? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because then you're forced to work in inside a cage, a very small cage, and then you have to be very inventive. Then, but you know, out of that comes something really exciting and unexpected. Mm. So, what was the process of getting Mortal published? Mm. That was a very protracted process. I I sent it off to a lot of publishers in Australia in the UK, in the US, basically, you know, I... It was an international yes. project. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I thought, well, you know, I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know who's going to end up publishing it. So I just thought I'd, I'd try as much as possible. And I only needed one person to say yes. That's for, what everyone says. Yeah, so that, that was it, basically. Um, I, I, um, I think I did some research. There were a couple of, you know, there's writers and artists yearbook, so... I made up a list from that, and uh, in Australia there's only, I don't know, under half a dozen that could possibly, you know, would be a good fit, so I tried them as well. But yeah, um, eventually Red Morning Press in, in Washington, D.C. accepted it, and um, I was really pleased and, and I felt really lucky that they said yes. So. And so that's now been unleashed on the world? Yes. Since 2006. And you've got your second collection. Tell us about about that one. Okay, my second collection. Are we still um, using its pseudonym? Yes, <laughs> until until I get their signature on it, um, on the contract. Um, I will be circumspect with regards to the name. But the working title, which you gave the idea for, was... I did, Because <laughs> it was one of the most evocative images. Um, it's, uh, the working title is Act Normal. <laughs> so, Act normal. 
Yes. What an interesting instruction. Yes, yes. Um, it's from a line in a poem where, well, I'll tell you the story of it. It's about a man who kills his wife, his son, and then himself, and leaves a daughter as a survivor because she wasn't there when the crime happened. And it's sort of, you know, there at the center of the book, but it works outward, so it goes outward from the neighbors looking in and seeing the crime to the police and the officials and then the, the neighbors, um, the family, and then, right, them, you know, right with them at the middle there. So, yeah. I personally found this collection, um, you know, took even more of this, this idea of poetry as narrative. It, yes. it is actually telling a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end, yes. and has an entire cast of characters. Yes. So it, was, it wasn't like reading a poetry collection mm. at all. It was like reading a novel, but in the most abridged, distilled form. Mm. Um, it was really quite incredible, and, and, the, and the voices of all the different characters were so distinct. Um, and, and even quite funny, oh, right. given, <laughs> given your um, subject matter. I mean, there's, there's the character of the priest, for yes. example, I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so what lessons did you take from, from Mortal mm-hmm. in, in the writing of, of Act Normal? Well, putting Mortal together, I guess that allowed me the freedom to, to go bigger. Because, I mean, as you know, because you've read a, an early draft of Act Normal, um, it suddenly like it just blows up. It's like and it's on a you know we saw some art today, but it's on a bigger canvas than than mortal. It's definitely you know as you say a cast of of quite a few characters in there, and I'm taking the point of view of a lot of them you know moving around, and I'm almost in I don't know like um, like one of those gadgets where you see in 360 degrees what's happening right in the middle. So yeah, it's um it's. It just gave me that freedom and, and gave me the confidence that I can actually be that ambitious and do it. Mm. I knew it was going to take a long time mm. from the very, uh, you know, from the very first that I got the idea to write about it. You know, I knew it was going to take years, but yeah, it just had to be done because it wouldn't let me go. It was just very, you know, had its claws in me. So those I, are the best kinds of stories, yeah. though, the ones that <laughs> won't leave us alone. Yes. Um, I've talked to a lot of other writers about this, but I've not talked to a poet about it. Mm-hmm. What is the reception of your work like, and how do you manage that? I mean, do, do you ever freak out when you've published poems or a collection of poems and think, there's a piece of me out there mm-hmm. and people are going to judge it yes. and read it and I won't be able to control how right. they read it? Mm-hmm. Um, does does that freak you out at all? No, no, no. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I, I absolutely love hearing people's ideas and you know interpretations of my poems because I think, you know, my bit is done. My job of writing the poem is done, and it needs the reader to complete the circle because otherwise, you know, it's just me spewing out my thoughts. But it needs somebody else to to interpret what I've written, and you know, I absolutely love having differing ideas from from my own because you know I write thing and and it's like okay this is what I think it is but as soon as somebody says you know oh actually I think it's actually about this then I think yeah yeah and I think I I don't want to discount other people's interpretations because that's you know that's just valid for me yeah their ideas of what my poem might be about is infinitely more valid than mine 
and I think you know it's more exciting that way. So it's a very healthy perspective yeah. to have because a lot of writers I speak to do find that the hardest mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. the job mm-hmm. is having to relinquish that yes. control. Yes, it's now out there in the world and it has to walk and talk on its own and you can't be there constantly as the author to back everything up and justify everything. Well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm an angel about it. With with, uh, Act Normal, the reason why it took so long was because I I found it hard to share. I mean, you know, giving you my draft and to um, another friend of mine to look at, that was really hard for me to sort of, you know, for you to read it before I thought it was even ready because I'm not usually one who, who shares her work before a draft is finished so that was really hard and to let go of that control and also you know to, to sort of give it to my to the publisher that I ended up with yeah it took me a little while to let go of that then because I knew to give it prematurely would change the shape of what I wanted it to end up being and I wanted to be close to the idea of what I wanted it to be before I did that. So it's more in the early stages that you have a bit more anxiety. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And do you enjoy performing? Because that's obviously a big part of um, being a poet. Yes. Is uh, reading your work. I mean, that's we're here in London tonight for (laughs) for one. Yes. So is is that something you, you enjoy? Yes, I do. I do really like that interaction with the audience and seeing how they how they're absorbing my work, if they're absorbing it, if they're just, you know, looking at somewhere else. Um, I just enjoy this, this, there seems to be this exchange happening where I'm reading and they're absorbing. And I don't know, I just like that experience. It's very alive. Yeah. Do you think poems are meant to be performed and spoken aloud? There's some poems that, that lend themselves lend themselves to being read aloud. But um, not every poem, I don't think. Yes. Do you have aspirations for, you know, one day perhaps becoming poet laureate or (laughs) something like that? Oh, uh, I wouldn't turn it down, but um, I think it's, I don't know how likely that would be. I mean, yeah, I'm enjoying things at the moment. You know, I've just been invited to a festival recently and, and I'm enjoying getting back into that kind of arena. Yeah. I wouldn't say no. Somebody said, would you like to be poet laureate? But laureate of what? <laughs> of where? Of where? Well, you've lived all over the place. Yes. I mean, you've been Philippines, Australia, yes. Ireland. Yes. Scotland. Scotland, <laughs> Wales. Uh, I think it'd be quite unlikely that I'd be made Macar in Scotland. <laughs> Will there ever be, you know, um, Ivy Night? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe in 200 years' time, who knows? <laughs> A common question that I ask all the guests on this program mm-hmm. is what advice would they give to, to new writers or to anyone you know, wanting to have a similar career to yours. But you're the first poet that I've interviewed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I just wonder how, how getting into that arena differs to perhaps wanting to get a novel published. Yes, um, it's, I guess it's a little bit more about creating your readership. So you. Well, for me, I started off sending my work to journals, and I guess, I, I mean, I still do that. It's, it's all about getting your name out there almost and getting it seen. And, and um, after, you know, 
a few poems have been published, you know, a sizable number of poems have been published, that gives you the confidence as well as the experience of you know, the knockbacks. And, and then you can start thinking about putting a collection together and, and approaching publishers. I think publishers like the idea that, that you're committed to, to your work in that way. And so, yeah, they, I think they, they would judge you if you've had publications before. But, I mean, ultimately, it's about the work. It's about the manuscript they have before them. It doesn't really matter if you haven't had work published before, as long as your work, you know, is amazing. Yeah. And as you say, it needs the reader to complete mm -hmm. the circle. Yes. Um, so getting your work out there as much as possible is probably the best advice. Yes. What's been the best writing advice that you've ever received? Mm. The one that I remember the most and that sort of stays uppermost in my mind is it's not real until you hold the book in your hand. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, for a long time with Mortal, I, I was very much of, of the idea that, yeah, something could fall through, so don't get too excited, you know, um, if it doesn't. And I think that keeps me, you know, that keeps one grounded about, about things, because you, you can't really predict what might happen with a, with a publication, you know, with a collection. The economy could tank, you know, <laughs> and it's there's things beyond your control, and there's things within your control, and you, you, you know, you worry about what you can control, I suppose. So, yeah. Very good advice. Yes. Ivy Alvarez, thank you very much thank for joining you, us Philippa. on Bookends. That was Ivy Alvarez, poet and very dear friend. If you're interested in reading Ivy's work, all the publications mentioned in this podcast will be listed and linked up on the Bookends website, which is www.bookendspodcast.wordpress.com. And we'll let you know when you can expect to see Ivy's second collection in a bookstore near you. That's all from Bookends this week. I hope you'll tune in next Wednesday when I'll be speaking to Nicola Doherty, author of the romantic comedy novel The Out of Office Girl. See you then. Bye.